it's good to see everybody this evening and I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak tonight and I appreciate the prayers of Darren and Frank uh, for me this evening and I'll I need all the prayers I can get um, at any time with anything so thank you for that and I hope that the congregation is edified this evening we want to talk about a, a lesson that I entitled Behold Him that deals with um, some things I want to point out in Matthew chapter 17 uh, on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And, you know, our children are continually watching us every day, every move we, every move we make. And the more they watch us, the more, as they grow older, they tend to imitate us, whether it be for better or for worse. And I think we all know that. And as they learn to talk, their words start to mirror ours. And as they make decisions, their reactions mirror our reactions. And it's a humbling thing to notice our kids start to emulate the way that we are. And it points to a truth that's been said by many people over many many years, and that is, we will become like what we behold. And as children see and listen and watch us as parents, they naturally become more like their parents. It's not just parenting, parenting, and it's in so many different areas of life. You know, we could study someone, we could look up to an athlete, we can look to other, how other people view their politics, or whatever it may be. And the more we watch these people or sometimes even idolize these people, we tend to become more and more like them. And that's not just a reality, of course, in our lives, but it's also a reality in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And talking about Christ here, Paul says that we behold His glory, and as we do, we are transformed into His, or Jesus' image, from one degree of glory into another. In other words, the more that we behold Christ, the more we become like Christ. And the more we fix our attention and our affection on, on Jesus, then the more our lives will become to look like Jesus' life. And the more... You and I fix our attention, our affection on Jesus, the more we will want to become like Jesus. And as we see uh, Jesus in this, these passages we're going to read and go through tonight, and my goal is that we want to become more and more like Him, not in the sense that um, we'll become divine like Jesus. We know that's not the case, but wanting to become more and more like the character that he has shown to us over and over, time and time again, His love to be our love and His life to be our life. And Matthew 17 just gives us a little bit of preview of that. And we're going to read the first 13 chapters of Matthew 17. It says there, And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So the first thing I want to notice here is us to behold the divine glory of the Son, or of Jesus. The word transfigured here in verse 2 is the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3.18 to describe how we are transformed into the image of Christ. In both instances, this word refers to a change of form. So as we are transformed into the image of Christ, we begin to take on a new form. The life of Christ begins to transform the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, the way we worship. The list could go on and on and on. And Paul uses the same word in Romans 12 to talk about how we must not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that's what it means for us, but what does it mean for Jesus to be transformed here in those passages that we're reading in Matthew 17? The picture that is here is nothing short of glorious that we can read. It is a really, really an amazing uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, it kind of helps us to understand uh, the portrait of Jesus on this mountain alongside the two other men that were there with him, and that was Elijah and Moses. It really helps us to understand. I want to show how um, and why Moses are, and Elijah are a part of this scene with Jesus and how Moses and Elijah help us to understand uh, um, Jesus here. So we think about Moses. Moses represented the law of God. God had met with his people in the book of Exodus on another mountain, and there God had given his people God's law. And while everyone else among the Israelites had to stand and be in fear of God and fear of that mountain, Moses went up to the mountain and met with God and I want to show how this played out. I want to read uh, Exodus 13. And this is in the middle of uh, the intercession that Moses is making for the people um, with God. And it says here in Exodus 33, we'll begin in verse 18. And look, what, look, how, look what Moses asks immediately to God. Moses says, please show me your glory. And he, being God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on him I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock, and while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but you, but my face shall not be seen. And if we go down, um, roll right into uh, chapter 34, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like, this, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to meet me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite of that mountain. So Moses, Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And if we skip down to uh, the 29th verse in chapter 34 of Exodus, it says there, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So this picture, way back in the Old Testament in Exodus, where Moses, were, which he represented the law of God, had reflected the divine glory of God. He beheld God. Albeit, you know, with a veiled depiction of God, God's face, he says, shall not be seen. And as a result of beholding the glory of God, Moses came down reflecting the glory of God with his face shining. So we have Moses representing the law of God. In, and we also have Elijah here as well, which represented the prophets. And in 1 Kings 1... Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal on another mountain, Mount Carmel. And Elijah proclaims the glory of the one true God over Baal and the other gods that were being worshipped by uh, God's people. And Elijah proclaimed the glory uh, uh, and God brought down fire from heaven. And then in 
1 Kings 19, Elijah fled for his life in fear, and God came to him and revealed his glory to Elijah as well. And in verse, 1 Kings 19, we'll read verses 9 through 13. It says there, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, that the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord and the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. There's a lot in this passage, and I think even Frank may have a lesson on this that I heard years ago, and it's a really good lesson that he had kind of about this scene. But it suffice to say at this point that God had taken these two men, Moses and Elijah, these two strategic men in the Old Testament representing the law and representing the prophets who proclaimed that law. God had taken these guys at certain specific points in their life on a mountain where he had shown them his glory and their lives were changed as a result of that in visible ways. So now when they join, they join Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus was with them now on a mountain where he reveals his divine glory or God's divine glory. And that key word reveals is, is really what I want us to understand. Jesus is not reflecting God's glory. Or pro proclaiming God's glory. Jesus is the revelation of divine glory. Jesus doesn't just mirror the glory of God or imitate the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And uh, John who was on this mountain with Jesus in Matthew 17, would later write in uh, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Jesus is far greater than Moses or Elijah who only reflected or proclaimed the glory of God, which is part of why Peter missed the point here, I think, um, in this passage. Um, he kind of put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, and, and he was really corrected at that point. Uh, Jesus is, of course, revealing the glory of God, and he radiates the splendor of God. His face was shining like the sun, his clothes white as light. And in John 17, uh, Jesus refers to the glory he had with the Father before the world even existed. Yet when he came to earth, Jesus left his throne in glory. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And as Jesus grew as, grew as a man and walked in his word, we see him in weakness and humiliation, but also in total and full control. And during these couple of moments here on the mountainside, 
um, in Matthew 17, we see him in all his glory revealed. Beautiful, amazing, majestic scene. And in Hebrews, uh, the author says there in Hebrews, Hebrews 1 and 3, it says, The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And for a moment, uh, they get to see Jesus just as the Father sees Jesus. And that is in all his glory. Jesus, Jesus radiates the splendor of God and he unveils the presence of God. And also right there at that moment too, it says a bright cloud comes into the scene, overshadows the scene, immediately taking us back to the imagery that we see in the Old Testament of uh, the Israelites and God's presence in the cloud. Um, this is the cloud that protected God's people from the Egyptians who were trying to pursue them. The cloud that descended on Mount Sinai when Moses met with God to receive the law. The cloud of glory that enveloped the tabernacle, tabernacle when it was completed. And the cloud that appeared at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8. And while that was happening, Peter... Well, it says here in verse 5, While he, which is Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And these are the same words that we see in Matthew 3 when Jesus was baptized, but there's a little bit of an addition here. And it's a, um, it says here that God the Father says, Listen to him. I can almost picture Peter saying, let's build three tabernacles here. And, and he was interrupted by God saying, stop for a second, Peter. Listen. And that's something that all of us, I think, can do. Just stop and listen to God. Listen to what he tells us in his word. You know, I've heard it said sometimes that, you know, God does speak to us. And he does speak to us through his word. That's how we listen to God. One other thing that I want to point out uh, here is um, that it says here that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking with each other. And just think about that. You got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah speaking with each other. What in the world are they talking about? You know, you think about all the things that could be talked about. And in here in Peter, it doesn't, doesn't tell, I mean, I'm sorry, in Matthew, it doesn't tell us what they're talking about. But in Luke, it does. It says in Luke 9 and 30, it says, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they spoke about Jesus' departure. And the word for departure here comes from the Greek word, exodus. So think about that. Jesus is talking about his departure to Moses, who delivered the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians. It's a pretty amazing picture that we see here. 
So Jesus is the prophet promised by Moses to speak the word and deliver his people. And Jesus is also the messenger preceded by Elijah. So Jesus radiates the splendor of God. He unveils the presence of God. He embodies the pleasure of God. And he speaks the word of God. He was promised by Moses and preceded by Elijah, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So, how do we respond? How do we respond to this story and to what Jesus has shown? And there's a couple things I want to notice. We need to look at Jesus' worth. And also we need to listen to his word and we need to long for Jesus' return. That was something that was touched on this morning and I want to get a little more in depth of that. So looking at Jesus' worth, uh, you know, how are we going to respond to this text? Um, to see his divine glory and his patient power and his willing sacrifice, his certain victory over um, sin and death. And to behold Him, to fix our attention on Him, and to not spend our life fixed on the trivial and temporal problems that we deal with every single day. We need to lift our eyes to Jesus, turn our eyes up to Him, and to let things of this earth grow strangely dim. You know, the more we focus on Him, the more dim the problems of this life become. Let us listen to His Word. So one more place I want to turn to, 2 Peter uh, 1, verses 16 through 21. And this is what Peter wrote, reflecting back on this event that happened in Matthew 17. And it says there, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you by the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, if we didn't catch that, I don't want us to miss it. You know, it, it says, Peter saying here, yes, we experienced and we're there when, when Jesus transfigured on the mount. And he was an eyewitness of the majesty of God and the majesty of Jesus. But even more than this, Scripture, the prophetic word of God, is like a lamp shining brightly in the middle of darkness. Listen to it. We want to see Jesus. We want to behold Jesus. We want the glory of God and Christ on a daily basis. Read the Word of God. That is how we behold Jesus. We read it. We study it. We meditate it on it. We memorize it. We practice it. And we will see His glory. The Word of God revealed in Scripture, Peter says, is more certain 
than even this exceptional vision on this mountainside in Matthew. We need to listen to the word of God. Listen to him. Let us long for Jesus' return. As was mentioned this morning, do you want Jesus to come back? Do you long for him to come back? You know, you can sit and think about these things sometimes and almost come become terrified of your thoughts and your questions. Do we really want Jesus to come back right now? We need to always be ready. So much more could be said here, but ultimately all of this in Matthew 17 beckons us that we need to look to Jesus' worth, look to his return, and long for his return. Let's long for the day when our faith shall be sight. That's when Jesus comes back. Our faith shall be sight. When we will see Jesus as the Father sees Jesus, revealing the glory of God and radiating the splendor of God. In Revelations 22 and 4, it says we will see his face. And we can see the connection all the way back here with the beginning. We will become like what we will behold. In John 1 and 3, Verses 2 through 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We will see him, and we will become like him one of these days, not in the divine way. And that is a Christian hope. That is what drives our lives every day. We behold him and we want to become like Jesus. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.